You're listening to And hey everyone, you're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is episode 62 for Thursday, July the 1st, 2021. We are halfway through the year. What is happening? My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Ju. Hey, Jess. Hello, Marvin. And also professional culture editor Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. So, how is everyone's summer going so far? Is it, um, Jess, are you having a, what was it, hot girl summer? Is it hot girl summer or is it a... It's a yes, 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 dad. It's a hot girl summer and it's been... Um, I feel like I have not reached my full hot girl summer potential because my clothes no longer fit. But in a also like, let me tell you, nothing makes you feel older than getting TikTok. And I realized all my clothes super chuggy and I am not ready for hot girl summer. So this weekend I do plan on going out and shopping because we about, you know, body, not even body positivity, body neutrality. You know, we're not going to make ourselves feel bad about gaining weight or being a different size i'm just gonna go buy some fucking new clothes and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. buy them to be really slutty because she's hot at any size you know (laughs) so i'm very excited she's ready she ready i do hope that you get to experience hot girl summer this year since you missed it last year because um here in la we're experiencing some also some um delta variant speaking of variants delta variant Mm -hmm. uh summer as well and i don't know guys i don't know if we're gonna is summer going to be canceled? And I think summer's fine. I think winter will be canceled. Um, <laughs> but it's fine because we don't want to go in the winter anyways. But that's why we have to live our hot girl summers now. Mm. People are not going to give up their summers. It doesn't matter how many variants we get. <laughs> yeah. They, the CDC does need to like stop being like, we recommend this. It's okay. But maybe you should. I'm like, just fucking. This, it's like a hot and cold like dude who ghosts you, but still <laughs> will watch all your Instagram stories. And you're like, make a fucking decision. Just commit. Commit either way. They can't no. commit. CDC nope. can't commit. It's so dumb. Nope. Oh. Anyway. Anyways, um, on this nope. episode, we're doing our June edition of Do We Want This, which is our monthly news roundup segment where we go over um the latest entertainment news in asian america but before we get to that let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through this week uh let's start with jess what's popping so i have been ramping up my olympics experience by watching the u.s olympic trials i feel like I typically do not watch them because I'm usually not at home and I also feel like this is the first year where we're getting all of it because Peacock exists. They're putting a lot of stuff on Peacock. So I've been following the gymnastics trials and the track and field trials which have been very fun uh some of the swim trials as well uh we could have a totally new segment marvin going forward called go asians olympic edition yes this is really great asian go asian americans olympic edition go asian americans (laughs) yes because you know we're gonna get some racist racist jackass like via you know basically what happened with michelle kwan is like when she did not gold medal and i think tara lipinski won they're like an american has beaten michelle kwan like what the fuck (laughs) That was she's American. Yeah. She's from fucking Torrens, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're gonna get some of that like BS racist shit. 
Um, but you know, we know, you know, we can we the, the beauty of social media is we can basically provide our own commentary, which is super fun. The Twitter discourse after some things is just as fun as sometimes watching the events. Now I have you a know, question when, for you. Mm-hmm. Is Simone Biles floor routine, does that count as Asian American? We'll take it. I mean, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, she set her Simone Biles has a thing where she sets her floor routine music to thematically fit the event she's at. So when she did Rio, she had like carnival music. And, you know, this year's Olympics is taking place in Tokyo. And she and her team have chosen to take the soundtrack from Tokyo Drift. Fast and Furious <laughs> Tokyo Drift, which is fantastic. I feel so seen. I feel very represented. When that beat Thank drops, you. when that routine starts, yeah. it's pretty I good. mean, that is like, that soundtrack should be honored to be graced by Simone Biles, you know, gold winning routine. Um, it's gymnastics is like really fun, but also, y- you know, it's kind of a given unless something ridiculously major and tragic happens like US is probably going to win the gold we have an incredibly strong team which consists of by the way sunisa lee mm-hmm. 18 year old mong american um young woman fantastic she's been killing it she has been pretty consistent podiuming in um in in some events i mean obviously like no one is going to beat simone biles barring some kind of freak accident um but sunisa has been very consistently you know scoring second she was pretty i think she was pretty like locked in to make the team and that's just so awesome and then jordan childs of course another um black woman who's going to be competing in the and she actually trains at the same gym simone biles does and there's been really really cute like uh behind the scenes stuff of like them just hanging out and like you can obviously tell like simone is like a mentor to her and i'm like this is this is lovely like yes let's let's get some let's get some like fabulous like women of color gymnasts you know let's celebrate them let's like you know call out those like fucking asshole commentators when they say dumb shit like they're not american or you know it's it's never the athletes that made me mad usually Mm mm-hmm I mean, sometimes Americans are really dumb. Like, like at least we forget Ryan Lochte, <laughs> Swimgate in Rio, oh being a God. dumbass. <laughs> Holy um, crap. Yeah. How embarrassing. Anyway. So dumb. But, you know, like, it, it's usually, like, how they frame the, or who they choose to highlight is really telling and has been really infuriating in past years. Like, obviously, you know a Simone Biles or someone like a, a black uh, athlete or a just any athlete of color will be like the obvious or a woman will be like the obvious like superstar of that specific event on the Olympics. But the headline is like, you know, Michael Phelps wins silver. Katie like Decky breaks world record in 1500 meters. And you were like, how is she not? How is she not the main story? Right. <laughs> so it's more about like the journalistic, you know, and like media infrastructure around the Olympics, but the Olympics is the one time where I'm like, motherfuckers, okay, proud to be an American. <laughs> well, it's done. No one. Okay, yeah, very problematic. But, but are we really? No, no. But this is where like the cognitive. Di- I just had to like let that cognitive dissonance like sit. Where I'm like, yes, go USA, no, and then I, like turn face it's and like- be like, fuck, you know, like fuck the systems of America. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's like um, rooting for your favorite team or or if, in lieu of anything, your hometown team, right? It's, it's, it's like family. Like, yeah. I can shit on you all I want. But, you know, especially when the sweet bean is like a athlete of color, we're like, no, 
fuck you. They're they're amazing. They have they have succeeded and worked so hard for this moment. Like we're gonna celebrate them and root for them. <laughs> Don't you dare talk shit about them. Yeah. I do yes. hope that um given the past few years that the um whoever is creating narratives in that NBC like writers room, whatever, is changing the way they decide who gets to be Olympic heroes. Yes, right? I hope so too. And honestly, I'm very excited for the visa commercials. You know, the visa commercials that like Morgan Freeman, Freeman narrates every year. Is like, and they always show some like really heartfelt like story about some athlete. I'm just like, yes, the redemption, ah, the sports narratives, man. I think we've talked about this on this podcast before. Love a sports movie. <laughs> don't really, don't always care about the sport itself, but like love the narratives around the sport great human interest piece yeah yeah but han what's popping with you okay so i will admit i've only seen half but it's great so far um and it is the movie zola which actually as we speak is in theaters now um it's limited release right now so uh but i highly recommend everyone go see it basically if you don't know the story zola of Zola, uh, this is a real life person. Um, I'm not quite sure how to say her name. Isaiah Zola King. She had in 2015 written a 148 tweet thread of her saga that happened. She only embellished a little bit of it. Um, basically, she met a she met a girl. Uh, they're both um, dancers, pole dancers. And like the very next day, that girl is like, um, come with me. Let's go to Florida. We're going to dance at some clubs and make big money. And so she does. And what happens during that trip is what was such a major thing. Um, some people called it hashtag the story. Some call it the thodicy. Um, It's just. But here's the thing. So. Rolling Stone, a, a a writer from Rolling Stone kind of interviewed all those people and to verify like what exactly was happening. And so from the Rolling Stone story is what a lot of people tried to option, including James Franco. And so that movie was going to be made. And then all of a sudden, James Franco stepped down for reasons. And then um, we have now a black female director doing this which is very exciting so she made sure that they scrapped that whole script and she made sure to talk to king herself zola um to get her side of the story asked other things about maybe what was in there um then she also we, they have a black screenwriter who is a playwright um jeremy O'Harris, who's amazing and uh and zola is also an executive producer so she signed off on the second script so all the steps were made to give it like an authenticity and voice and sort of like respect that it deserved. And it really plays out on the screen and it's fantastic. Um, I was so upset that my screener link um, expired in the middle of it. So <laughs> that's the only reason why I didn't finish it. But I got it reinstated. So actually after this, I'm going to watch it. Um, I don't know exactly how to describe how great it is without like giving stuff away. But first of all, it is very stylish. Um, uh, Riley Keough plays the white girl named um, Stephanie in this version. I think in real life it was Jessica. And uh, she goes on the road trip with uh, Stephanie's boyfriend, who is the tall, uh, geeky guy from Succession. Cousin, Cousin Greg. Greg. 
<laughs> cousin Greg, Nicholas Braun. Uh, love him. He he's plays even more awkward, if you can believe it. <clears throat> and then uh, Coleman Domingo plays a mysterious guy named X, also for the ride. Uh, she keeps oh, calling he's him. he's so good in it. He's, he's so, so good. good in it. He's so good. <laughs> um, she keeps calling him his her roommate. Um, and uh, I don't want to give too much away, but yes, there is sex. There is nudity. There is some great pole dancing. Um, and there are a lot of twists and turns. It's a trip. And uh, just basically get ready. It's so funny that like when you put this on the list, I was like, is this the movie that that we watched? Because Jess and I actually yeah. watched this film at Sundance. At Sundance. We drove we all drove the way to Robert up in Redford's the mountains. Like, yeah. ski resort yes. theater yeah. was, to watch this. It was at we Sundance. were like very lucky. We were like number one and two. I think we were like one of four people to get in from the wait list. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, this movie it's, is. It's really interesting. And, you know, shout outs to Janiska Bravo, um, who is the director and really like put her, put really, uh, this movie needed a perspective, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the movie is about, you know, narrators and narration and is it reliable? Um, and she does a really great way, she uses some really great devices to show that. Uh, also, you know, shout Afro Latina. So we're getting like a lot of different reps in there, as as is Coleman Domingo. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very it's it is very jarring. I will say. I think if you've read <laughs> if you read the Twitter thread and like followed that when it initially came out, um, I think in the written form in like Twitterverse, it's kind of like a spectacle. But when you see it on film and you see like how it's actually like very dangerous intense situations uh it's kind of like oh yeah like it's it's why were we laughing (laughs) it's suspenseful but it's really funny it's dark uh it's smart the sort of stuff about the relationships between different races and friendships and how appropriative uh stephanie is how she speaks everything is just it's so intense for me and that was just the comedy side of the film that i saw like the the earlier side um but also between this and the show sex life i've seen a lot of naked peen um in the past (laughs) couple weeks uh more so than i've had in a while so uh, did you get to the oh did you get to that pe that straight shot penis section Yes, like yes. the yes. So the many the many shapes. Yes, yes, yes. So that, many unattractive. Pieces. That was, <laughs> uh, you know what? I was just like, it definitely wasn't a turn on. But it when you talk about like what usually you you know the male and female gaze and what you usually get to see, um, I was very much appreciative that she made this. Like it was <laughs> because when you actually look at it, you don't actually see female nudity. Sorry to say, people. Um, but you do see female bodies being incredible on the pole. Taylor Page, man, she's great. Oh, she's phenomenal. She, her it. acting, yeah. oh my god, it's so good, so good. Yeah. So this is in theaters now. Is it streaming anywhere as well? Or so, no, no, sorry, no, <laughs> no streaming. It is out in theaters, limited release. I think uh, the June thirtieth release is to get a jump on the. Uh, long holiday weekend because of course people some people are going to see fast and furious again um but 
I have to say, just try to see it if you can. It's worth it. Um, Not a family-friendly film, just to be clear. Unless you, that your family is like that, that they're okay watching uncomfortable films together, Jess. Um, but <laughs> like, like, don't bring, don't bring your like, don't bring your like middle-aged Asian mom to this movie. <laughs> I would not let my mom even like watch the trailer. Like, <laughs> all right, Marvin, what's popping? All right, so. I've been watching Loki. I've been watching all the Marvel TV series because I'm interested in what they're doing. Um, I was especially interested in Loki because we, like, as we talked about before, I find myself way more attracted to the weird Marvel stuff than like the straight up like government spy agent superheroes. I thought you were about to say I find myself attracted to Tom Hiddleston and more like same boat. Um, (laughs) Sure, (laughs) he is very good. Um, and basically. If um if you're one of those people who only like the Loki scenes in the Avengers and Thor, this is the TV series for you because it is pretty much 100% Loki. Um 100% Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Um the the basic gist is um this takes place after the branch storyline from Avengers Endgame where Loki escapes with the Tesseract and then he gets captured by the Time Variance Authority, which is like this extraterrestrial uh, organization that polices time and then basically he goes on a hunt for another version of himself who turns out to be um spoiler spoiler alert turns out to be I mean, female loki you probably know by now that yeah, there's a we're female four loki. episodes in so yeah <laughs> um and then they just go in hijinks there and it's it's really interesting because right now it's doing everything i wanted to do which is kind of like treating this time cop organization as the fascist that they are trying yes. to control like the one way things should be and i'm just right now i am into it but i'm also cautiously optimistic because we've been here before right we've been here in like episode five of falcon winter soldier we've been here in episode five of wandavision like there is a version of this show that is going to be awesome and has something to say and there's also the version of the show that we're probably going to get and i'm just like <laughs> not ready to be disappointed once again I I embrace to be disappointed, although I do have to say, I think that they, since they have mentioned several times that this is a store, uh, a world that can possibly have many seasons, I'm hoping they give us some sort of satisfying ending just because they know that they don't have to cram it all in, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, because they only have one go. So yeah, I, th- that's my hope. I also am enjoying it. I don't know if I love it as much as I wanted. And I think maybe it's just because this is a different Loki from the Loki we saw in the films, because literally it's branched and he is going right. on a different journey. This nature is Loki versus nurture. pre um, Thor Ragnarok character development. Yeah, and right. he's not having a lot of the angst that, you know, we saw him go through, which in some ways is good. He has a lot of banter with Owen Wilson, so that's a little different. And then he has banter with, well, himself now. So uh, <laughs> it, it's it's very different. He's playing it differently, too, which makes sense. Um, I always just, like, I like Tom Hiddleston. Um, I think he's a very good actor. I think they could give him more to do. And I'm hoping that actually these last two episodes, they are going to do that. So yeah, he can take it. Yeah, is it a little bit like the I call it the honey bunches of the just bunches problem when it's too much of a good thing and it's like um, it tears apart the inside of your it mouth. It tears apart the inside of the roof of your mouth or you know like when they took Johnny Depp's character from Pirates of the Caribbean and he was so fun in the first one because he was just there to fuck shit up 
But when you I mean, need to center like a more deeper storyline around him, I, I do think Tom Hiddleston is way more talented an actor and could do it. <laughs> yes, he can. I, will I think disclaim. Yes. Um, I think they just it depends on what they give him because he's up for whatever they give him. But I hope they really push it in the last two episodes because I'm really enjoying Owen Wilson in this, though. I have mm-hmm. forgotten kind of how fun and like he's a comedy guy. Cool. He is like just he's effortless. Also, he is. Yeah. He's a good actor, too. He came from independent film. So, you know, <laughs> does he have the wow factor? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the way you still made that joke. Uh, yeah, almost is great in it. Um, yeah, it's it's good so far, and like the the production design is also really really good. I think it's cool. It has everything that like a time travel show should have, including like just like the confusing storyline. Which I watched the first two episodes with my dad, and he we ended it with him saying, "I don't get it. What's going on?" Luckily, like, the next two episodes were more action focused, so he was able to like get back yeah. on board. You're like, Dad, don't ever watch Dark with me. Oh no, he, Dark is not <laughs> my dad. My dad is the type of person you know. All those, um, you know, when you're browsing Netflix and uh-huh. you see all these like action movies about like special forces people starring like two old actors, like starring like old action actors, and you wonder who watches this stuff. My mm-hmm. mom, my dad watches. My mom, stuff. my mom is number one fan of Liam Neeson on mm. moving vehicles <laughs> action movies. <laughs> she will watch any Liam Neeson vehicle because you know. It's just so easy to understand. You don't need to know what's going on. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, like, Asians over, let's say, 65 is the mm-hmm. audience for those movies. For Liam Neeson movies, yes. <laughs> yeah, She loves the rock movies where he has to like escape out of a burning building or a burning something or fly a helicopter that ends up burning. Yeah. Yeah. Totally My mom- down. My mom loves a lot of Nick Cage movies, but he's been <laughs> oh, doing Nick Cage yeah. movies get pretty mm-hmm. like they get pretty they get a little weird. weird. They get very weird. Yeah. Like I had to we a were watching point. we were watching uh, my friends and I were watching Face Off. Like it was kind of, I just put it on in the background as we were like packing and like it's not a good movie to put on in the background because like every time you watch it like I had to be like oh no 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 that's Nick Cage being John Travolta <laughs> being Nick cage like, but there's levels that's not even the weird i was thinking of you've seen the trailer for his newest film called pig right <laughs> oh basically God. it's john wick but with a pig so like someone stole his truffle pig and he's he's angry <laughs> you know what i can Pops see that. You, nick cage nick always cage. giving us content for decades I, now. I feel like nick cage is a type of actor who will always pick the most interesting role he can find mm-hmm. yeah i respect that a lot he's you know? like why he not the- he yes he's the only one doing interesting like trying to do something different still right like at yep. this point yeah, of acting remember in like the 90s when he was like an actual action star for a while when he won an oscar <laughs> and then proceeded to do the trifecta of 90s action films the mm-hmm. rock on air and face off yes <laughs> yes i i think about that at least once a day <laughs> yeah anyways loki great so far uh we'll check back in two weeks to see how it ended but so far, I'm liking it. So that's what's popping for me. Yeah. And with that, well, before we get to our uh, Do We Want This, we have to talk about Go Asian. Um, last episode is the penultimate episode of this season of Top Chef. It's hard to believe that we've already gone through, what, 13 episodes at this point? 14 episodes? I know. I'm so sad. What are we going to do now? <laughs> Olympics. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay, that's true. I'm fine. <laughs> I'll be fine. Then I'll cry after the Olympics. All right. What do we think about this episode? Did it live up to the hype? 
mean, it was a pretty straight, I feel like it was a pretty straightforward um, challenge, which I think is fair at this point. I think the more kind of tricks you try to throw at them at this point, the less fair it is. I also wonder, because I have been also kind of just did a rewatch of this season to lead up to the finale tomorrow. Like Maria was allergic to shellfish and that whole challenge was built around shellfish. So had she made it to top three, like they would have had to change the challenges. Right? Like that's just not fair. Yeah. Probably. I always think about that. The producers are probably very happy that she got eliminated. Yeah. I wonder what they would have done, but yes, I, I mean, having a seafood challenge, but specifically shellfish challenges were great. I love clams. Um, and then they had a crab one in honor of James Beard, which was really great. Um, bitch loved crabs. Yeah. And all of the, Treatment sounded yummy. Uh, it's just, I, 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 I don't. I, here's the thing. Like, well, we can go to the actual like results at some point, but like, clearly, anything seafood, Japanese cuisine is gonna do very well, and so there was no mistaking that Shota was gonna do well on that. He, he even did so well that when one thing went wrong, he decided not to put it on the plate. He was so self-assured about the other bite that he had made so um and i think that in some ways uh showed like just how i don't know how how good of a chef he is um and uh that he stuck by it that way so i don't know just i was happy with that very happy i wanted to eat all of it yeah so um we're going into the final episode how do we feel about our final three okay you know i get that they couldn't decide between Gabe and Don in many ways they both had similar issues but I do feel a little bit like it was like a cop out like I only wanted two but I do have to say having an Asian having a black woman and having a Latina uh, man being the final three makes me very happy yeah I feel like these were the top three from the beginning anyways Mm -hmm. Um, so in in that sense, this season was kind of anticlimactic because basically it was theirs to lose and they didn't lose. But at the same time, I think we're going to get some high quality cooking next episode, which yeah, should be good. Although the previews didn't show me Avishar. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I thought that we were going to get Harold and Kumar again. Speaking of uh, Shoda, I'm so mad that um, they're having a Kokomo pop-up and the three Kokoson. of us missed the RSVP period. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, the tickets. As mm. soon as I saw that on Instagram, it was sold out. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Do I need an alert? What the hell? <laughs> because I, if we got those tickets, we totally would have done the trip down to San Diego for that. Like, oh, that would have yeah. been a fun, fun road trip. <laughs> no, unlike unlike Zola. Wasn't meant to be. Oh, uh. no, that's what you think, Han, but it will end up being a Zola-esque, <laughs> but like the San Diego version where like, I don't know, like. I don't know what even shenanigans can get into in San Diego. It's so like we're gonna know. be like, hey, we're gonna go Jess to. Jess and I uh, are the- pretty low key, so if anyone's getting shenanigans, it's just you. It, it's like, oh, we're gonna go to Lego, uh, Legoland. I'm like, okay, cool, but then it's not Legoland. I'm like, Jess, what did you? No, no, but we somehow end up like breaking one of those like mega structures at Legoland. It's like the pause, like record scratch, like. I'm wondering how you, how I'm, I'm sure you're wondering how we got here. And we go, yeah, no, definitely. Ready, hot girl summer, let's do this. Hot girl summer in one of those Legoland themed rooms. 
me. Oh, right. <laughs> There's nothing less sexy. <laughs> like trying to get, oh, ow, ow, what is that? My back. <laughs> A Lego? Oh, no. <laughs> There's so many sharp edges. Uh, all right. Well, the finale for this season, Top Chef, is tomorrow. So by the time you listen to this episode, it'll be the finale. So um, we'll talk about the results next week. Who knew that we would get the whole full season of Go Asian? This has been a pretty good pilot season for Go Asian, if I do say so myself. Yeah. I, I, I'm feeling very good about Shota's chances, with even if he doesn't win, but I do think he wins. Um, I feel like he's going to get fan favorite. Yeah. Very strong feeling. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Be right back. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's the end of another month, which means it's time for Do We Want This? Good Pop's monthly Asian American entertainment news review. Um, So what's going to happen is we're going to go around um, the panel here and we're each going to bring up two pieces of news from Asian American entertainment. And we'll ask ourselves if we want this. Um, so yeah, let's get started with uh, Han. What's our first story? All right. So I'm going to bring up uh, a movie we all love that we have watched marathons to prepare for. Uh, it is F9. And specifically, I'm going to bring up the box office, which is in its opening weekend. It had a 70 million debut, which shattered pandemic records pretty clearly um, when it comes to uh, movies that are in theaters. Um, but it's also just, you know, it's it's one of those m- movies that I think clearly has legs. So um, it premiered the week before the July 4th weekend. Now it has the full July 4th weekend to like draw in more people. Uh, there is a heat wave going on on the West Coast, uh, especially mm. in the Northwest. People are going to go to places with AC um, and sit there for a very long movie. I think it has <laughs> a good chance. It's also, you know, of course, clearly an um an international uh, film. So um, I think it's positive, well, relatively positive reviews for those people who get the saga um, and the very healthy box office is good news for the movie. So I would just like to say, do we want this? Yeah, I'm excited. This is a win for Justin Lin, which by extension is a win for Asian Americans, right? Yes. And you know, I'm going to say it's a win for like people's love of Han from the series i think that was like a major angle in which this movie was playing on and got everyone everyone very excited and you know i think han just needs his own spinoff he does we need we need that in between between tokyo drift and fast nine f9 the fast saga where was han this entire time it will be the mandalorian but instead of baby yoda is that l girl 
And instead of Mando, it's Han. Yeah, do it. Two I, series. I watch Make that. it a series. I do love that in the, the story. Han mentioned that it shattered pandemic records because like, <laughs> how long has pandemic records been like being tracked? Like a month, two months? Well, well, here's the thing. There have been a lot of films in theaters. Like Tenet was definitely one of those that insisted mm. on being in theaters before it went to digital. So, and, but they were, you know, only like in drive-ins and stuff like that. A few other theaters were like, nope, we're going to have actual theaters, uh, auditoriums open, but like not many people were going to that. Um, this was, of course, pre-vaccine. A lot of people weren't going to those. So um, since the vaccine has been out and theater, more theaters have been open. It's, you know, it's still hard for people to go out. Like whether you're vaccinated or not, you don't know what, you know, there's still some spacing issues. You don't know who to trust. Um, some people can't get vaccinated. Uh, so yeah, it shattered pandemic records. And I feel like you're right. I think it's only in the past, past month that movie theaters have been more open for films. So this is not the first major film which we can get into that opened in theaters um but it is probably the one that has made the biggest splash so far i do yeah i mean 70 million i mean let's face it if this was pre-pandemic this is like half of what it would have made right at least i mean the cost of making it is that's not even you know <laughs> but yeah that doesn't even cover production budget and and you know like i said it has at least another week or two perhaps uh, as far as like how far this thing can get driven um but but yeah it's not it's nowhere near as it would have made um the nice thing is the demographics do show that it is a diverse audience clearly which has always been the case for the fast saga um and i feel like people are holding on to see if it's good and then now that we're free free to tweet they go to space i'm sure there'll be a lot more people watching this film second weekend yeah although i've been seeing mixed reviews because some people don't like that what they went to space I mean, also, who cares? Like, that's like one <laughs> tiny part of the movie. And also, I just, wh- whoever is watching these movies for some other reasons, <laughs> I don't realism know. Realism. Like, like, who what? are you? What? Why? Why do you expect this? Just no. Well, like, were you like me where you saw movies one through three and then when paul walker died you saw seven and got confused because that (laughs) might be the case uh this is a good reason to go back and watch all eight or if you want to say nine films if you count hobbs and shaw um in order to understand how the series podcast only recognizes the mainline fast series right and i did potential han spinoff Yes, I, I I do have to admit that I thought about saying Hobbs and Shaw as my uh, what's popping, but I'm like, no, let's go Zola. Um, <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw was fine. Uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Jess, what's our next story? All right. Dwayne, The Rock Johnson is going to star in a holiday action adventure for Amazon Studios. Uh, the film is called Red One. Do we want this? Oh, wait, let me sweeten the deal. <laughs> the writer of the Fast and the Furious series um chris morgan who i believe wrote like most of the good ones most of the good ones he wrote five which let's be real is the only one that matters to me he wrote three through eight seven eight yeah so so the architect of the fast and the furious movie is going to be pending this do we want this i mean you had me at the rock and chris's movie because we all remember the 
banger film that was jingle all the way, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, I, I'm going to make this even funnier because, you know, I'm reading this verbatim from a Variety <laughs> article. This is a trade paper. You know, trade is industry talk for Hollywood stuff. Um, and the way they describe like, we don't really have any details, but the way they describe it is so, like, um, like jargony, like industry jargony, it's going to be a quote, globe trotting, four quadrant action adventure comedy, <laughs> which imagines quote, a whole new universe to explore within the holiday genre, unquote. Like, I just hear the money flowing in and I am mm -hmm. all here for it. I feel like people in Hollywood think that, or I feel like some consumers think that four quadrant is a dirty word. For those of you who don't know, four quadrant means the four quadrants are male and female, over 25, under 25. So if you can hit all four quadrants, that's basically a family movie, a movie everyone in the family can watch. Like Pixar. And that's, um, yeah, like Pixar. I mean, Pixar, I don't even know if they are anymore with shit like Soul coming out. Like, what? <laughs> who is that for? Is that for anyone under 25? I don't think so. But, you know, considering it is like the... I feel like it's in recent years as like things have been more nicheified, four quadrant has become a dirty word or like people think it's like very like bottom of the barrel, like oh it's so formulaic. But I'm like some of the best movies ever made are four quadrant films, okay? Like Back to the Future is a four quadrant film. Indiana Jones is a four quadrant film. Like let's get more of that. And if we can kind of like take the stigma off of you know being a family film and just make it fun i'm not gonna lie i like everything the rock is in i think he even makes a bad movie watchable i watched the tooth fairy <laughs> on the red eye from la we to watched DC. skyscraper together in the special screen watched skyscraper i had a really good time <laughs> i've watched the one where like um the the san andreas really good time <laughs> you know i think rock is the absolute king of this. He's like the the beacon of this. Jumanji was really, really fun. All right. So do we have any plot details? Is No, he, that's all we get. Is he the red one? And if he is the red one, does that mean he's Santa? I assume he's Santa, but they said there is going to be like cultural elements in this. So I don't know if hmm. there's going to be like Pacific Islander um, kind of cultural things mixed in. Um, you know, I mean, The Rock is his own producer in a lot of his movies. Uh, he's They think they're going to take beloved holiday mythology and turn it on its head. I'm assuming it's going to be like Christmas related. Um, no, honestly, I don't think we've had a good Christmas movie in a really long time. Like a classic in Enter the Pantheon in a very long time. So I am hoping yeah. that I really I'm really excited for this one. I love shit like this if you could make a bunch of jumanji movies i would watch them all right i got a story for you guys i have marvel news speaking of loki Ooh. um there's been a couple marvel news a couple castings uh from the asian american um i guess uh persuasion um which is great because marvel is doubling down on um casting more diverse characters you know we have shang chi coming up um uh, which is the first all asian american focused marvel movie i guess well they're not all american to be fair it's true. But, uh, asian chinese centered it is explicitly chinese diaspora chinese. centered action flick um the first news is jamila jamil who played tahani on the good place is going to 
entered the She-Hulk series as Titania, who is a villain, I guess, who is um, supposed to be like a giant woman, which, you know, Jamila Jamil is very tall. So I guess that, that, <laughs> I guess that um, fits. Um, but that's great. I mean, She-Hulk is an interesting series. I think it's starring Tatiana Maslany, right? Yeah. Yes. best known for her role in... Orphan for her Black. roles Orphan in Orphan Black, which is another great sci-fi series that I need to finish the last season of. Yeah. I mean, Tatiana Maslany was so good in that, that there were a few times, because I covered that show extensively, that when she was on stage to do interviews, I would always wonder where the other people were. Um, <laughs> and did she ever win an Emmy for that role? That or a Golden Globe. She's got something. I think it might have been a Golden Globe. Um, but like not enough. Right, I mean, right, yeah, right. she literally played half the characters of that series. Sci- sci-fi shows just still don't get enough love. I think it's the things like the HBO serial killer type shows that do better or yeah. if someone dies. and Yeah. <laughs> so it just it's, it's a matter of perception. Same with like how comedies don't get as much love uh, when it comes to the Oscars and things like that. So right. I feel um, like Tatiana Mansley Maslany. I feel like her narrative is also very wrapped up in all the roles she has lost. Yes. And all the like regret as watchers were like, damn, she would have been better in that than whoever they ended up casting. <laughs> Sorry, Amelia Clark. But yes, she was supposed Oof. I believe she was supposed to be um Cora Quara in the Han Solo movie, which was like perfectly Ooh. fine. There's no it was perfectly fine. It's a perfectly okay movie. Um, I don't know sure. why people are so worked up about it, but like, oh, she like, I think she would have done a better job than Amelia Clark. I feel like there's some other stories floating around. Like she should have, she was gonna be X, Y, and Z, and like something happened. So I'm glad she's finally getting to lead something. Yeah, and and of course her name Tatiana Maslany, and then Titania for Jamila Jamil is not going to cause any confusion whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But I'm happy for Jamila Jamil. She's also been on, uh, what is the, is it Legendary that she's on? Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I just very much enjoy her most of the also time. Also a pro- strong up. proponent of body positivity, which is Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, uh, the other cool. piece of Asian new casting news, this is more, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but Korean actor Park Seo Joon is reportedly cast in the Captain Marvel sequel, which is going to be called uh, Marvels, right? The Marvels. Or, Marvels. Yeah. Because there will be two Captain Marvels. Captain Marvel, Brie Larson, and also uh, Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, was going to be played by Iman, Iman Vellani, um, which is going to be a the next... Um, is it the next Disney Plus series after Loki? Or is there another one between that? I get confused. But that is another one I'm looking forward to because it's going to be teen Marvel, which is usually some of the best Marvel that we get. Yes, I believe that it will also be the first Pakistani American family in the TV series, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, like centering them, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, Park So Jun, of course, is best known for his role on Itaewon Class. Um, he's also a cast member on Parasite. He was the friend who gave um, oh, yeah, the family the, the rock. Oh, <laughs> that rock. The very important MacGuffin, the rock. Ah, I love it. Okay, cuts, so, deep cuts. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, do we want this? Yes, I, I, I definitely want to see more Asians in more Marvel roles. And I, I kind of like that they're getting someone who is uh, actually South Korean. You know, let's do all those crossovers with the K-dramas. 
Yeah, I mean, they also have uh, Ma Dong-sok from Train to Busan in The Eternals. So, you know, I mean, we can look at this cynically, and this is just Disney trying to cover all its Asian markets. But at the same time, you get these actors who have been doing really stellar work in their home countries now getting to flex on a like worldwide stage with a multinational brand like Marvel and Disney. Um, I mean, my only fear is that the writers won't know what to do with them. Because this has always been our, I guess you could call it rep sweats whenever we bring in like a legendary actor from another country. Like, I'm still kind of concerned about Tony Leung playing like the villain in Shang-Chi. Like, I really want him to do well, but I'm also like, will they be able to write for him? Because he is a fantastic actor, but does like, because we saw this with Jackie Chan, right? Jackie Chan is a great physical comedian, great actor. But when he came to America, he played one role throughout his entire career. Mm -hmm. I mean, if (laughs) no one watched The Great Wall except me, I didn't pay (laughs) for it. But you know, like Andy Lau's in The Great Wall and Andy Lau's also a phenomenal actor. And just like, why are you, I mean, cash that check, Andy Lau, but not your best work. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But looking forward to more Asians in the MCU. I feel like in the end, that is going to be a overall win. Well, let's be real. If the Marvel takeover is, as in the words of Marvel themselves, inevitable, like, yes, we want more diversity within the Marvel universe. Who cares what the reasoning is? (laughs) All right, Han, what's our next story? All right. So uh, this one came courtesy of Twitter. (laughs) Maureen Gu, uh, YA author superstar, revealed that her book, Somewhere Only We Know, is actually going to go to Netflix and that Lana Cho uh, is going to be writing it. Um, And Lana Cho, which she had written and produced on uh, For Weddings and a Funeral, which is a rom-com that we, that Jess and I both love. Uh, (laughs) So I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, But uh, so just the sort of a quick plot here is uh, somewhere only we know is about a K-pop star named Lucky who is sneaking out of her hotel at night and she runs into a guy named Jack who is a tabloid reporter. He doesn't quite recognize her. But anyways, of course, love happens. So. Very uh, Roman holiday. I mean, hey. this story was pitched as K-pop Roman holiday. Yes. Uh, when there, the book came out. Yeah. There you go. So I, I will first throw it to you. Um, do we want this? Yes. Yeah. More rom-coms, more Asian hot Asian people <laughs> gallivanting, being hot and just just making out. Yes. 100%. And what's great is Maureen Gu is um she is the queen of like Korean like K-drama YA stories. I think she's written like three or four books so far. Her first book, which is another book I hope will get adapted one day, is called um I believe in a thing called love. Um, she also loves using song lyrics as her yes. titles, apparently. Um, and that one is about a high school girl trying to go through her, you know, senior year glow up, realizing she needs a boyfriend but doesn't know how to talk to boys. So she does so the only way she knows how, which is through her experience watching Korean dramas. I love that so much. I mean, <laughs> I I think the awkward thing uh, I identify with more than the uh, K drama superstar thing. So, um, but I I also like the. Keen song somewhere only we know, which I can't help <laughs> hearing in my head whenever I read the title. Yeah, um, that finally got released um, from my holds list on the library. So confession, <laughs> I have not read it, but I'm about to. 
Um, but I'm excited because I've really been on a YA kick when it comes to Asian American authors. Um, and I feel like they have been doing maybe more justice to some of these love stories than some of the adult act uh, authors have, with the exception of some people like I love Helen Huang. She can do no wrong. Yeah. I mean, but, the thing yeah. with adult fiction is like it, they tend to have heavier themes. So that's where you get your stories about like immigrant angst and like second generation ennui and like Han, right? A lot of, a lot of Korean yes. stories about Han, right? Yeah. Um, whereas with the wife there, they get to let loose and just like write the stories they wish they had when they were kids, right? Stories about fake relationships and, you know, and enemies to lovers and, you know, all those. I have those- a theory. I have a theory. Yes. I have a theory. I think this is the generation that either grew up reading and or writing fan fiction. <laughs> and we have been training for this all our fucking lives. <laughs> yes. I would agree. Like, honestly, because some of the rom-com stuff that I've been like, you know, because I've been trying to write some of this, I keep thinking about YA. And I think part of that appeal also, like the wish fulfillment stuff that Marvin was just talking about, it's also that you don't have to mess with a lot of the sex stuff, which as much as I like to read it is maybe harder to write and get break out of that sort of like shell that we've been like taught to, you know, like, how do you write it? That's not weird. Some of these why get pretty wrong. They, they can get little, they can get hot and heavy. I mean, teens have sex. Let's be honest. I mean, they um, the black, but you know, I mean, not, not, not us as teens. But no, no, no. Yes, I've, so I've heard have sex allegedly. <laughs> so, so my so-called life told me. And then, um, but I also think because a lot of it does take place in school. So they're not having sex at school, supposedly. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of like, what I like from, let's say, the Regency stuff is there's a lot of flirting. There's a lot of just like um, actually hanging out together and having chemistry. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you have a lot of scenarios where they're working on a play together, stuff like that. And then so. like the thing with YA is because, because you're dealing with teens, they don't know how to deal with their emotions. So they're all, you know. So it makes more sense, right? <laughs> it's a little ridiculous sometimes when you are, say, watching a K-drama and you're like, bitch, just communicate like a like a, <laughs> like an adult. But, you know, and then, of course, they don't because if they talk to each other, there would be no conflict and therefore no drama. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you put it in a, like a high school setting, you're like, oh, of course you're dumb. You're 16. <laughs> this is totally believable. Yeah. And this even extends to like college kids like. 20s is still kind of YA territory when you're reading it. But yeah, I agree. Because when you are older and you're having these problems and you're like, just have a, um, like have a conversation, it's usually because they're damaged in some way. And so they have to address the damage. And then that gets into a whole thing. So as much <laughs> as I love those when they're done really well, um, I, I think they can, uh, adult, Authors of adult stuff can trip up a little bit as far as how they portray it and how much they show, how much they get bogged down in it, um, all that stuff. So, yes, YA is very isn't always just light and fluffy, but I think they can get into nuances better because they don't have to delve into some of the like harder stuff. I do want to get back to Jess's point, though, because I think she has a I think she has something there because so I've interviewed a bunch of authors through my book club podcast, Books and Boba, and I've interviewed at least two who have backgrounds writing fan fiction. Yeah. Well, one of the favorite series I told you guys about, the one with the uh, lesbian necromancers in space. Totally. Yes. <laughs> totally. She, not only had she started off writing fan fiction and did a an actual sci-fi writing workshop, 
But in her second book, she actually has a, a few different um, alternate timeline universes. And one of them <laughs> is purely a coffee shop AU. Like I was dying when I was reading it. So <laughs> AU, by the way, alternate universe people. Um, so, <laughs> so it had nothing to do with the actual uh, lesbian uh, necromancers in space. But it was a coffee shop that had a pun with uh, Starbucks in it. So, yes, a lot of people have grown up on fan fiction. And I actually have a friend right now who had written a novel, but she was having getting stuck. So she is now purely writing fan fiction to break through her writer's block. Yeah. All the best tropes, man. You learn fan fiction, enemy to lovers. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're stuck in a... We're stuck in some place by some mean, mean, some random thing out of control, and there's oh no, one bed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, all that good stuff. Even mainstream. I know, writers. I, I know we're not supposed to talk about it anymore, but <laughs> I imagine there's a ton of like Draco Malfoy, Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh yeah, right? no, no, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Actually, was <laughs> um, Rainbow Rowell, a very mainstream rom com author. I mean, she has some issues, um, but she is known for a series that she wrote, which was purely Harry Potter fan fiction. But then they, you know, she kind of changed it up a little bit. So, but they're like two of her most famous novels are set in that sort of fake Harry Potter world that she created because of that. We don't uh, talk about Rainbow Roll on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but strike that Marvin. <laughs> you can delete all that. But uh, I mean, we can we talk about Stephanie Meyer? No. <laughs> but yes, it's all a right. long tradition, especially in romance. <laughs> all right all right jess uh we're running along so this will be our last story what's our last uh, okay we save the best for last <laughs> joel kim booster bow and yang will start in fire island uh with director andrew on for searchlight exclusively for hulu do we want this pew, 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 pew. hell a hundred percent uh, for those of you who don't know, I, this was a Quibi project originally. <laughs> Remember that, Quibi? Thank, uh, thank God. You know, Quibi, a lot of weird ideas there, but the one good thing is they never owned the IP. So, you know, Bo and Yang wrote this, you know, Bo and Yang created this idea, and so he was able to get that back. And it is a modern take on Pride and Prejudice, which, you know, Han and I vary on the record of supporting any version of this. But it centers on two best friends, played by Bowen and Joel, on a week-long vacation to Fire Island. And for those of you who do not know what Fire Island is, it is the historic gay vacation town in New York that, like, becomes a gay paradise in the summer. Like, um, I, I, I apologize if this sounds derogatory. It does not. I do not mean to. It is literally like a gay haven, gay <laughs> enclave. Uh, for many decades now. So I am so excited about this. Um, also, the the uh, headline for this was pretty fantastic. It was uh, to top feature Fire <laughs> Island. Whoever wrote this knows what they were doing. And like, Andrew On is a friend of all of us. And just uh, I'm just so happy that he is paired. Like, he was the perfect person for this film. I mean, yes, you need... This is a... This is a story centering queer Asian men directed by a queer Asian man who also just happened, you know, the, the, the two actor performers at the center of this just happened to just be some of the funniest comics right now, <laughs> like working period. Um, and I just, 
like, wow, did you ever think we'd get to this point where like it just lined up so well? <laughs> it, yeah. What a glow up from Quibi. Let me just tell you that, first of all, because I was very afraid that it would die there. But you're right. Like uh, <laughs> the IP stayed alive. Um, it, it, certain Quibi things have gone to Roku TV, which I wasn't you know, excited about either. So for it to be not just uh, beyond quick bites of episodes <laughs> but to make a full length feature which is what i want from a pride and prejudice story uh-huh I yeah mean, just generally more features i don't feel like we get as many fun features like this anymore mm-hmm. like these you know they are definitely on the streamers um and it's it's great because we have two asian gay characters so like they don't they don't even get to, they don't, they're not even going to be like the token. Like you can even play off and show, wow, you could be gay and Asian, but still be very different. Um, Because Joel and Bowen had very different mm-hmm. energies in their comedy <laughs> routines. Like Bowen, you know, we've all seen him in SNL. He's fantastic. Like a uh, character, like brings like the iceberg character or his, uh <laughs> his Fran Leibovitz impression. Like, fantastic yeah he's very, the, like, he's like the very like kind of um cerebral high energy, smart yeah yeah and then Whereas, joel's just like crass and like very aloof know, right he's a very aloof type of yeah throwing like <laughs> throwing like you know sex jokes left and right um very self-deprecating as well All right, um, i have a question for you um who do you think they'll be playing are they bingley and darcy or are they jane and elizabeth i feel like they have to be Jane and Lizzie. Jane and Elizabeth. They're like the leads. Like even though Darcy is a lead, it's really Liz, Lizzie. But they're going on vacation, right? Jane and Jane and Jane and Lizzie are definitely the protagonists because they have more to work through. Like Darcy and Bingley have too much power. Yeah. (laughs) So if they really wanted to end the conflict, they could end the conflict. Yeah. As as you know, in that story structure, they'd have to be Lizzie and. Jane. It's the Bennets. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I'm very curious to see how any of these names play out, if they will be anywhere similar at all. They don't have to be. Um, but yeah, the whole, honestly, just Fire Island. <laughs> I want to so know who the love interests are. Yes. Who is going to be our Darcy? Oh, who is going to be our Bingley? So our Wickham? Oh, a, a fuckboy Wickham in this set? <laughs> oh, it's too powerful, huh? Like, I don't know if I'm going to be okay. You might have to come wash this with me and bring like a squirt bottle to like hose me down. Yeah, I think so. We're going to have to get what, uh, some vapors, uh, some smelling salts for you. Smelling salts? Mm-hmm. Give me give me a fainting couch. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's Hulu, so we'll have to throw just like a watch party somewhere. But yes, please provide me a fainting couch and a fan to like, which is also very, you know, queer as well. So it's still appropriate. I'm, I'm a big fan of everyone involved in this. I'm a big fan of the IP. I'm a big fan of like, you know, just like, you know, and also like any any gay movie where no one dies at the end, just great, just great. I mean, Wiccan can die, right? Maybe Wiccan will die in like a jet ski explosion or something. <laughs> I don't know tonally what this movie is really going to be right now. Um, but I have very, you know, Bowen wrote the script, and I feel like he's just so talented. Like I, I don't see how this, <laughs> like 
won't be even if it's not the greatest like it's just gonna be still a really fun time regardless it's gonna be so, so great i'm all here for it i'm yeah. all here for it it's gonna be great <laughs> i hope we get some really good like halloween costume options from this oh my god <laughs> right like like i'm just trying to imagine it i really hope like i think i think like how you get from like well-loved status to iconic status in the rom-com world is you need that iconic outfit that people can just reference and know exactly what you're talking about and so come on costume designer come through we need something fantastic that's you know copyable i don't know what like fancy term for that is like (laughs) mimicable um reproducible i think maybe that's the word that we can you know like wear it out in the world and oh i'm so excited yeah so excited all right when is that coming out do you know no they just announced um (laughs) the you know the creative team around it and uh it will it's gonna stream on hulu i guess globally it's gonna stream on disney plus interesting uh (laughs) that makes sense I mean, just because, you know, Hulu is also part of the family. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I guess so we're looking at 2022 at the earliest, 2023 realistically. Uh, but well worth waiting for because this is the... I, I feel like we've been waiting for this ever since we found out about it. <laughs> yeah, that's... Thank God. It turned out better than expected because <laughs> now it's going to be a full-ass movie. That also means I don't have to subscribe to Quibi, which I kept... I mean, I, no, no one has to... I don't think you can worry about that anymore. <laughs> I mean, we would have done it just for that series, though. That's true. Yeah. We would have. All right. And with that, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Uh, Jess Han, thank you so much for joining me once again to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news. Uh, if people want to follow more of your thoughts online, where can they go? Uh, all my trash thoughts are on Twitter at Just Your Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. And you can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club. Uh, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts. Uh, check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And with that, that'll do it for this episode. Um, happy July, everyone. Have a safe 4th of July weekend. Um, have a great rest of 2021. And we'll see you back again next week on Good Pop. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.